this special bonus podcast is called, Is It Inconsistent That God Sent Jesus Christ to Save Us But Had Consequences for the Books of First uh, and Second Kings Where Some People Died? I felt led to do this research because there are some who try to dissuade others from believing in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he has punished people over time where some people have died. Having read the Bible from cover to cover many times, I wanted to research specifically to see if these consequences were unwarranted, as they suggest. To do this research, I will use the New King James Version of the Bible, also known as NKJV, and Internet resources as needed. Since the Bible sometimes uses the word him and the word he within the same verse, I will include who is speaking and who is being spoken to within brackets if I determine it's beneficial for clarity. Additionally, I will put my analysis, comments, observations, and conclusions within brackets as well for those who would like to read this research or previous biblical research projects in their entirety. You can go to either of these two blogs I felt led to create. Biblical proof found at https colon double backslash biblical proof b i b l i c a l p r o o f dot blogspot b l o g s p o t dot com or do biblical inconsistencies really matter? You can find that at https colon double backslash biblical inconsistencies b i b l i c a l i n c o n s i s t e n c i e s dot blogspot b l o g s p o t dot com within brackets i have notes at times, the same event will be in two different books of the Old Testament. In that case, I will analyze that event most often in only one of the books of the Bible so that the research is not repetition. Still within brackets, although those listening to this podcast can't tell, on the blogs I mentioned, I will have the portions highlighted in yellow that show God's compassion, the negative consequences of their choice in green, and when they are warned in turquoise. Additionally, note, God often uses prophets to warn people of their poor choices, but regardless, God has already shared the Ten Commandments with his statutes to not worship idols and false gods as well. The thing is, God gives us choices. We can choose to follow him in his statutes, but when we don't, there are consequences. He most often explains what he expects and wants and has prophets that will do the same for him. But there is always the alternative for those who worship idols, live wickedly, and lead others astray. First Kings 9, chapter 9, verses 4 through 7 says, Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Within brackets, I have, after the temple is built, God has Solomon warn the Israelites of their choices to follow his commandments and statutes, and he will establish Solomon's throne forever with future generations. If they choose to start living, serving other gods, God will turn his back on them. 
First Kings chapter 11, verse 4 says, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. 11, chapter 11, verses 11 through 13 goes on to say, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, and will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, with which I have chosen. Within brackets, I have Solomon chose to worship his wife's false god, so God is going to take most of the kingdom from his son but will let a portion remain for the sake of David. 1 Kings 11, chapter 11, verses 33 through 39. Ahiah says to Jeroboam about Rehoboam, Solomon's son, because they have forsaken me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler of the days, all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. To you, has a hyphen, ten tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and will build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Within brackets, I have, the priest tells Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, that God has taken ten tribes from the hands of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, because they have worshipped false gods. He has a choice. If he walks in God's ways and follows his statutes, he would give Jeroboam Israel and build him an enduring house, and there is and there will be a consequence if he doesn't choose to worship the Lord. First Kings chapter 13 verses 8 through 9 says, But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Chapter 13 verses 17 through 22 goes on to say, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he, I have that within parentheses, he was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the people, no, came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed 
the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandments which the Lord God commanded you, but you came back and ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your cor corpse shall not come in, come to the tomb of your fathers. Within brackets I have, the man of God did not follow the directions God gave him, so he had the consequence of losing his life by not heeding God's orders. First Kings chapter 14, verses 7 through 10 says, Go to Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people, made you ruler over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to, excuse me, I had rent the house of David and I had to fix it. And gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart, and do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourselves other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it is all gone. Chapter 14, verses 15 through 16 goes on to say, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river. Because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger, and he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and who made Israel sin. Within brackets, I have God lets Ahiah know he is to tell Jeroboam's wife, who goes to see Ahiah, that God, who God asked to say that he. I put Jeroboam over Israel, but God is going to take the land from the house of Jeroboam because he chose to worship false gods and to turn his back on Israel since they chose to do such wickedness. First Kings uh, 15 verses 3 through 6 says, and he, which is uh, Abba, Abba Yam, walked in all the sins of his father which he had done before him and his heart was not loyal to the lord his god as was the heart of his father david nevertheless for god's sake the lord his god gave him a lamp in jerusalem but setting up his son after him and by establishing jerusalem because david did what was right in the eyes of the lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except the manner of uriah the hittite and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Chapter 15, verse 11 further says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Chapter 15, verses 33 through 34 goes on to say, In the third year, third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the king of Abiah, and I apologize if I mispronounce these. I just pray my way through and do the best I can. Became king over all of Israel and Terza and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Within brackets, Abiyam was an evil ruler because of his wicked choices, but Asa followed God's laws, but Baasha 
Ahiah's son, was an evil ruler, and their consequences from God were according to their choices. First Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. This is an aside. So when they're talking about that their wicked ways and sinning, they're talking about a lot of things, but a major thing is that they're worshiping false idols and they're leading the other people astray. And God doesn't allow that because then the people all get, or most of them get led astray. Chapter 16, verses 12 through 13 goes on to say, Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet for all the sins of Baasha, the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Chapter 16, verses 25 through 26 further says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. And then chapter 15, verses 31 through 32 says, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife. Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Within brackets, I have all these kings got the consequence from God for their choice to lead the Israelites to worship idols. First Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 18 says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he, which is Elijah, answered, I am not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, or false gods, idols. Within brackets, I have Elijah talk to Ahab about his, which is Ahab's choice, to forsake the Lord and to follow idols. 1 Kings 21, verses 17. Through 18 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. 21 verses 24 through 26 goes on to say, The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Chapter 21, verses 28 through 29 further says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab, Ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his days, but in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Within brackets, 
I have since Jezebel chose to have Naboth killed to give his vineyard to Ahab and also led the people to worship idols. God wants Elijah to tell King Ahab that dogs will lick the blood of his family members when they die. Ahab chose to humble himself before God and said that instead the consequence will be in Ahab's, when Ahab's son is ruler. This is an aside. This is really significant in my opinion because Ahab did so much, so much evil and led people astray. Evil, evil, evil. But at the end, he felt bad and he humbled himself before God. And here's God willing to be gracious to him in spite of all the evil he did, even though he had consequences. But God usually has the consequences. So people might say, whoa, this is not good. I need to turn things around and focus on, on God. But Ahab, with all his evilness, did that. And God said uh, that he would not have this consequence happen during Ahab's time because he had humbled himself before God. Which means no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter how terrible it was, if we ask God to forgive us and we are sincere about it, he will do it. We just need to ask him. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be fancy. We just need to ask him. And when we need to have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, you know, it doesn't have to be some formality. It doesn't even have to be out loud. You just ask Jesus in your heart to be your Savior and help you be the person he wants you to be. And it doesn't have to be exactly that. That's just what came to mind. First Kings. 22 verses 51 through 53 says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. This is also in 2 Chronicles 20, chapter 20, verses 35 through 37. But as I said in the note earlier that I um, would analyze it one place or another, but not both or else, it, you know, I already pare things down to the crucial verses. Else it could be chapters and chapters and chapters to do the research for you to hear or to read. So I pare it down to the things that are most important and I try to analyze things most often from one spot or the other. So um, on with Second Kings. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't read my analysis. Okay, within the brackets. Ahaziah and Jehoshaphat come from a long line of kings who chose to worship idols and turn their backs on God, so they had the consequence of being removed from being king. Second Kings chapter 1, verse 16 says, Then he, Elijah, said to him, which is the messenger of King Ahaziah, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, which shall surely die. This also is in Second Chronicles chapter 22, verses 2 through 4. And again, I'm analyzing it here and not there. Okay. Within brackets, I have Ahaziah fell and was injured and sent his messengers to ask 
an idol if he was going to get better. But the Lord had Elijah tell him that since he chose to ask an idol instead of the true God of Israel, he would die and not get better. In fact, he says, why don't you ask the God did you pray to, you know, which is not a real God, just an idol. Second Kings chapter nine, verses six through eight says, then he, which is the young man Elisha sent, arose and went into the house and he poured the oil on his, which is Jehu's head and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I, which is God, may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the mills in Israel, both bond and free. I have within brackets, Elisha sent a messenger on God's behalf to anoint Jehu to take over Israel from Ahab because he, which is Ahab, chose to worship idols and killed the prophets and, and servants of the Lord. Second Kings, 20, whoops, I read it wrong. Second Kings 10, verses 21 through 22 says, Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he, which is Jehu, said to the, the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Chapter 10, verses 25 through 28 goes on to say, Now it happened, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guards and to the captains, Go in and kill them, let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down this sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Within brackets, I have God had Jehu killed those that chose to worship the false god Baal so that Israel would not turn from so that Israel would turn from their wicked ways. Again, God has consequences that are severe because when he says naughty naughty, don't do it. They just go on and keep worshiping false gods. So when they are led captive, this is of course in the sun. When they're led captive to other places, when they're under oppression, when people are killed, then sometimes it takes significant things where people say, "Whoa, we need to turn things around and focus on God, not on false gods." Okay, Second King chapter eleven, verses seventeen through eighteen says, "Then Jehoiada." made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces, its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. This is also in Second Chronicles 23, verses 16 through 17. And again, I'm analyzing it here and won't analyze it when I'm in Chronicles, which is another post. I mean, or podcast. The Israelites made a covenant. Oh, within brackets, I have the Israelites made a covenant with the Lord and chose to help Jehoda tear down the altar of the idol they had formerly worshipped. Second Kings 13 verses 1 through 5. In the 23rd year of Joash, the king of 
Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jeru, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So Jehoshaphat pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Within brackets, I have Jehoahaz, chose to make Israel sin and turn away from God. So they were turned over to the Syrians. But when he pleaded with the Lord, he had he God had compassion on them and rescued them from the hand of the Syrians. And with doing all this research, it's this, again, this is an aside. It is so amazing because they will sin and turn away from them, and then they say, We're sorry, and, and God will be compassionate and forgive them. And then they get led astray by the people around about them, and then they start worshiping their gods, and they will not be worshiping God. And but once, you know, and God will have consequences. And then when they get to the point where they say, Uh oh, I need to go back and focus on God, or we do. And they turn around to God. He's compassionate and he forgives them. And it happens over and over and over again. It just amazed me so much. This has been the most, oh, invigorating, interesting. All of my research has been interesting. But it has been very interesting. Because God is so compassionate that after time, after time, after time. And he still forgives people when they honestly Turn their ways around and focus on God. Second Kings 15 verses 8 through 10 says, In 38 years of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jebesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Chapter 15, verses 23 through 25, goes on to say, In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel the sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his of his conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Aria. And with him, A-R-I-E-H. And with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. Within brackets, I have Jeroboam, Pekahiah, and Pekah were all evil kings who chose to lead the Israelites to sin, to worship idols, and were killed for doing so. 2 Kings 17, verses 6 through 8 says, In the year of Hosea, I don't know, Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by Habor and the 
river of Gozan in the cities of Medes. Medes. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord cast out from them before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. Seventeen verses eleven through twelve goes on to say, "There they burnt incense in all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them, and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing." Further, chapter seventeen verses thirteen through fifteen says, "Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah." By all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I send to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord, their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them, and they followed idols and became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them. Chapter 17, verses 16 through 18 further says, So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, and made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Uh, this is inside the host of heaven. So they're worshiping the stars, the constellations, the seasons, all of that. You know, like people do horoscope or uh, other celestial things. Um, and they caused their sons to pass through fire and practice witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Chapter 17 through chapter 17, verses 27 through 29 further explains. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there, let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. And it's capital G, so that's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Triune God, not false gods that the neighboring areas worship. But you can't see that just by my voice of saying God. Okay, the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places with the Samaritans and had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. I didn't read the emphasis right. With the Samaritans. I should have said which. No wonder. Okay. So, on the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. Okay. Sorry, I just have to change it. So, I'm reading right. The high places in which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. Chapter 17, verses 33 through 34 says, Even more, they feared the Lord yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or the, their ordinances or the law 
and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Chapter 17, verses 39 through 41 ends with, But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals, so that these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also, their children and their children's children have continued doing as their father did even to this day. Within brackets I have, God had the Israelites taken to another land because they chose to worship idols. This happened generation after generation. Even when God provided someone to teach them the Lord's rituals, they believed in God, but also worshiped false gods as well against the Lord's many warnings. Second Kings 8, chapter 18, verse 3 says, And he, which is Hezekiah, did that that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Chapter 18, verses 5 through 7 further says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Chapter 18, verses 11 through 12 goes on to say, Then the king of Assyria carried away Israel, carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Hala and the harbor, no, Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. This is also in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 6. But again, I'm analyzing it here and not there because I'm just doing it once so it doesn't get too repetitive. Okay, within brackets, King Hezekiah chose to follow the Lord and he prospered. But Israel has was taken captive by the king of Assyria because they chose not to follow the Lord. Second Kings chapter 19, verses 1 says, verse 1 says, and so it was when King Hezekiah had heard it that he tore his clothes and covered himself in sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 further says, And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he will... He shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Chapter 19, verse 10. When the king of Assyria says, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Chapter 19. Uh, let me give you an aside, just so it makes it clear. So, the king of Assyria is trying to kind of like fake out the Israelites and saying, don't believe the prophets that say God's going to take care of you. You will never overcome me. You should just kind of side with me. But don't believe that prophet. He's going to tell you a lie. But what he was saying was a lie. Anyway, so chapter 19, verse 15 goes on to say, Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. Cherubim is another name for angels. You are God and you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Chapter 19, verse, 
verses 19 through 20 goes on to say, now therefore, O Lord, our, our God, I pray, save us from the, his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against the Nasherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Still in chapter 19, verses 32 through 35, says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake, and it shall come to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of the Syrians, 185,000, and when the people arose early in the morning, they were all corpses, all dead. This also is in... Second Chronicles 30, verses 1 through 27. Second Chronicles, it goes on with Second Chronicles 31, verses 2 through 21. And Second Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 32. But again, I'm analyzing it here and not there. Okay, within brackets, I have King Hezekiah chose to humble himself before God. And Isaiah tells him God says not to worry about what he's heard because God is going to take care of them. And he did. He had the angel of the Lord kill all those enemy soldiers. And and they didn't even have to lift a finger that God took care of all of it to prove that he's the Lord. Second Kings chapter 22, verse 2 says, And he, which is Josiah, did that did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Chapter 22, verse 5 goes on to say, And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it, which is the collections, to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. So they're talking about that the house, people pilfered the house of the Lord and took all of the everything. You know, anything of value, they took it out. So he's trying to rebuild. Josiah is trying to rebuild the house of the Lord. And God's telling him, take those collections and give it to the people to do the work. And then to fix the house of the Lord. Chapter 22, verses 10 through 11 goes on to say, Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, no, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. That's a sign of usually mourning, being extremely sad is when they would tear their clothes. Sometimes they do put sackcloth and ashes. Those are all in that realm of mourning and being extremely sad. Chapter 22, verses 13 says, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people of and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the word of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Chapter 22, verses 16 through 17 further says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on, this in on its inhabitants all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. 
that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hand. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Chapter 22, verses 19 through 20 goes on to say, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against the, this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I shall bring on this place. So they brought backward to the king. So the king was the one that was sorry, and God honored that, but it doesn't mean the people turned their ways from worshiping false idols. So they're still going to have a consequence. Second, oh, it's also in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 through 33, and it says almost the same thing. Um, within brackets, I have, when Josiah heard the book of the law, which is the Bible, he tore his clothes, I mean, it had a different name then, but they basically think, he tore his clothes and asked to inquire of the Lord since Israel had gone astray. But God said that he would not bring the calamity on them during Josiah's life because he chose to humble himself before the Lord. Second Kings chapter 23 verses 32 through 33 says, And he, Jehoahaz, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him, which is Jehoahaz, in prison at Riblah in the land of Ramah, and he that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Chapter 20, 23, verses 37 goes on to say, And he, Jehoiakim, Josiah's other son, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father's ancestors, I have ancestors within brackets, had done. Both within brackets for my analysis, both of Josiah's sons who became kings chose to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings chapter 24 verse 9 says, And he, Jehoiachin, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Chapter 24 verses 15 through 16 further says, And he, which is the king of Babylon, carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen, and smiths, and 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war. These the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Chapter 24, verse 20 also says, He, which is Zedekiah, also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then, then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. In the, in the next chapter, verses chapter 25, verses 2 through 3, it says, So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had come, become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Chapter 25, verses 5 to to six goes on to say, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they pronounced judgment on him. 
Again, this is also in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 9 through 21. And I analyzed it here and not there. Within brackets, I have three more kings chose to worship idols and reap the consequences of their evil actions. Now within brackets, I have, how do we know that God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to save us? Think about it. How could the exact things done to Jesus be predicted all these hundreds of years before his birth? If it weren't for God the Father's having prophets write down these predictions to be included in the Bible. God knew that some would doubt, so he left his biblical evidence so we would know Jesus is truly the Son of God by fulfilling these predictions. The prediction in Psalm about Jesus being God's son, where God's letting David know something he will say to his only begotten son, Jesus. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son this day I have begotten thee. That's from Old Testament, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The New Testament proved this prediction was fulfilled. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And that's from New Testament, Acts chapter 13, verse 33. The next is predicting a virgin will bear the son of God. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know how to refuse the the evil and choose the good the land that thou abhorrest which means hate or or are angry against shall be forsaken of both her kings that's from isaiah old testament isaiah chapter 7 verses 14 through 16. the new testament fulfillment of that prediction is now the birth of jesus christ was as follows after his mother mary was betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him, took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That's from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Next is the plot to betray Jesus, predicting the 30 pieces of silver Judas was given to betray Jesus is used for a potter's field. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they have weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was priced of them. That's how much Judas got for betraying Jesus. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That's from Old Testament chapter, that's Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verses 12 through 13. The New Testament proof of the prediction being fulfilled. And they consulted together and brought with them, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. 
And therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, which is for Jesus, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. That's from Matthew chapter 27, verses 7 through 10. The next predicts Jesus' disciple Judas would betray him. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. That's from Old Testament. Um, book of the Bible, Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. This is the this is more than just the New Testament proof of fulfillment, because this particular passage shows Jesus knows full, full well he's going to be betrayed by Judas. Who else could do that? But God sent Jesus. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, of his bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This is an aside. That's the apostle John, not John the Baptist. He had been executed a long time before this. Um, but this is the Apostle John, and he talked about himself in third person, and he always says that he's the one that Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, which is Apostle John, to ask who it was of whom he, which is Jesus, spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he, which is Apostle John, said to him, which is Jesus, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he, which is Judas, to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he, which is Jesus, gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, which is Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he, which is Jesus, said this to him, which is Judas. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor, having received a piece of bread. He, which is Judas, went out immediately, and it was night. That's from John 13, verses 21 through 30. More New Testament proof of the prediction being fulfilled. And while he, which is Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords, so it's a lot of soldiers with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people, and now his betrayer, which is Judas, had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, he, which is Judas, went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came, all the soldiers, came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. That's from Matthew 26, verses 47 through 50. Next is the prediction that Jesus will be beat and spit upon before they crucify him. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That's from Old Testament, book of the Bible, Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 6 through 7. The New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he was, had scourged Jesus, and that means hit, 
like whips or ropes with little barbs and stuff on it or rocks or something like that. But I was terrible. He delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head and after that they had mocked him they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him that is from matthew chapter 27 verses 26 through 31 within brackets i have jesus knew he would have to go through all of this in order to save us from our sins so that believers could have salvation in heaven with him someday if it were me and i knew people were going to spit on me and mock me and beat me it would have been a real game changer but Jesus went through all of this for us anyway, knowing all of this in advance. Next is predicting bystanders would divide Jesus's clothes and cast lots for his coat. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's from Psalm chapter 22, verse 18. The New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's in Matthew 27, verse 35. Next, is they're predicting the piercing of Jesus' hands and feet when they nailed him on the cross. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have, and I am within brackets, enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's from Old Testament. Book of the Bible, Psalm, chapter 22, verse 16. The New Testament proof of the prediction fulfillment. This, this is the same day that Jesus rose from the grave, but this is not Easter morning. This is later on at Easter when he goes into the house cabin, whatever, with the different apostles. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said, He, Jesus, said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and, I, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he, which is Jesus, had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. That's from Luke chapter, chapter 24, verses 36 through 40. Next is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It was predicted what Jesus would say on the cross when he died for our redemption. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That's from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. The New Testament proof that this verse was fulfilled is in Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Next is predicting Jesus wouldn't suffer corruption. In other words, his body would not rot. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's from Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. The fulfillment of this verse is in John 20, verses 25 through 29, when Jesus shows himself to the disciples the second time after rising from the grave. And it doesn't mean the second time on Easter. I mean, it's a whole nother time. And I'll tell you when later in this. 
The other disciples therefore said to him, which is Thomas, we have seen the Lord. So he, which is Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he, which is Jesus, said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand there. And put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Within brackets, I have you have heard all these predictions of Jesus being the only begotten son of God, his birth, betrayal, death, and resurrection, and the fulfillment of these. Here are some additional noteworthy passages you are not led astray by those who would try to dissuade Christians from believing in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jude forewarns us of those trying to lead believers astray from the love of God and Jesus Christ, his son. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write you, write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our god into lasciviousness which is a form of evilness and denying the only lord god and our lord jesus christ that's from jude Verses one through four. Um, so he's saying there are people who act like they're godly and that they worship God and they turn the words around and twist it and they try to lead people astray. That's my opinion of all that. And that's an aside, of course. Next, Jesus Christ, God's son, washed our sins from us when, when he died and arose from the dead. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the king of the earth, and to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's from Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. I have within brackets. Jesus tells John, this is Apostle John, in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, they should stay strong, hold fast, Mainly, they followers, the churches should stay strong, hold fast, and repent because Jesus comes like a thief in the night, and believers undefiled shall walk in white with him and Jesus and will not blot out their name. And Jesus will not blot out their name from the book of life, but will confess their name to the God, the Father, and they should focus on what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that they are ready to die, for I am not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white, which is white clothing or garment. It's to show purity, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. 
But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's from Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Within brackets, I have, after all my research analysis, I have determined that it is very consistent that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. But had consequences for some people, choices where they die. He's trying to keep them from being led astray. He's trying to weight it in the way that they would eventually come to say, oh, gee whiz. And I need to, you know, what have we done that this has happened? And to turn their lives around and focus on God as the true God instead of idols. God, within brackets, I have, and the, what I just said was the Messiah. Within brackets, I have God gives them and us choices. If we worship the Lord and follow his statutes, we will he will provide for us and support us. But if we choose to turn our backs on him, he will turn his back on us. Of course, that doesn't mean that as Christians, we get to have steak every night. Um, or the desired jobs that we wanted, you know, God will be there through us. I mean, with us through the good and the bad. Doesn't mean we get everything we want just because we're Christians. But it does mean he'll be there with us. Much of the same as it said, this is still within brackets, much of it, the same as it says in Deuteronomy 7, 16. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples from the Lord your God, from whom peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. So that's what's happened is that people didn't destroy the, the enemies and they, they got taken in by them and started worshiping their false idols. And it happened time after time after time. But again, when, God, when they would turn to God and repent, you know, truly be sorry, then and and start worshiping them. Then he would forgive them. Within brackets, I have. Why is it significant that God gave His only begotten Son to save us? Romans six verse twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." First John chapter four verses nine through ten says, "In this." The love of God was manifested toward us, that God had sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. First Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21 says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Also within brackets, not only do I base my analysis on all the predictions about Jesus in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament, but also on the following Bible verses. When he, which is Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on, upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, 
this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It came to pass in those days when Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, which is the Jordan River. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is from Mark 1, verses 9 through 11. Sounds almost the same, doesn't it? That's because it is almost the same. I put this in the other things I'm going to share with you because it's additional proof that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God because there are different people that saw and heard things and there are eyewitnesses and they recorded it. Or there's people who did analysis back there and then they interviewed the witnesses and they recorded that information for them. Now, does it say exactly the same thing? Uh, it says, this, the, Matthew said, this is my beloved son. And in Mark, it says, you are my beloved son. You know, and both say, in whom I will please. Is that an inconsistency that's significant? No. Just like now, if two or three people see a situation and they will all paraphrase it and say it their own way. Some might see it one way, I mean, see a certain amount of it, and others might see more, and they might have more elaboration, and some share information with more details, and others with less, or in the Bible, it is that some, especially Apostle John, will not put things, or in my, all of my research, I have come to this conclusion that the Apostle John doesn't put things if it's been adequately recorded in some of the other Gospels. He will just add to if it does, if he thinks something's printed that wasn't shared, but sometimes he won't put it if it's already been adequately shared. But this is all additional proof that this is true. Okay, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. That's from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. And John, this one's John the Baptist, bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, which is Jesus. I did not know him, but he, which is God the Father, who sent me to baptize with the water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John, which is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's from John chapter 1, verses 32 through 36. At Jesus' transfiguration before he's betrayed. This is another time, so this is shortly before he's betrayed. While he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That's from Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. That's from Mark 9, verse 7. And while he, Peter, which is Peter, was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. That's from Luke chapter 9, verses 34 through 35. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
this is Jesus speaking. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That's from John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's from Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Remember John 3. Verses 16 through 21, where God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, which is believes in Jesus as their Savior, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Within brackets, I have my advice to you is to follow Jesus Christ, the light of the world that can lead believers to salvation in heaven with him someday, regardless of whatever we've done in our past. Turn your lives over to him as your savior. Pass this on to others who could benefit by it. I want you to know that since this is an example of the positive influence God has made on my life through the Bible, this podcast that I shared with you may not reflect all of the whole meaning of the Bible verses and passages I have shared. They're just how this particular Bible verse or passage related to my life and how it makes the Bible more personal to me in my daily walk with Christ. Thank you for joining us at Relate to the Bible. I look forward to you joining us next time where you will hear more examples of how you can relate the Bible in ways that are especially meaningful to you.